I invite you to tune into these words from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of Prayer Demands from Whispers from Eternity. The gent- thy gentle voice saying, come home, I often heard. <laughs> but through many lives it was drowned in the tumult of my wild cravings. I have forsaken the jostling crowds of desire. In the solitude of my mind, my devotion bursts to hear thy voice. Take away every dream memory of earthly sounds that yet lurks in my mind. I want to hear thy still voice ever singing in the silence of my soul. I think some of us who give this topic at Sunday service are tempted just to say, use your intuition and figure it out. (laughs) And I can just sit down. (laughs) But I won't do that. Um, I want to mention that a number of us, I think over 20 of us recently uh, attended the Intercontinental Korea Retreat over at Ananda Sisi in Italy. And this is a few weeks ago. And it was a very inspiring and also very powerful experience, I think, for all of us that were there. There were over 150 people from um, all over the world, really. And it was full of a variety of different experiences that we could have together. There were morning classes that were very deep with, I think we had over 19 Kriyacharyas from the different continents gathered together to give these classes. And we had different afternoon programs and different evening programs. In the evening, actually, each of the continents uh, shared about their, um, what they were doing in terms of uh, in the communities, in the outreach. So um, for us from America, uh, Atman shared about things that were happening here at Ananda Village, including the new temple, and not only projects, but working with people, how we're refining our membership and dealing more in supportive ways of people. And then Dharmadas, who, with his wife Nirmala, are the spiritual directors of Ananda Sacramento, shared about the other Ananda communities in this country. And then I shared about how we're doing outreach in many, many other ways. And then Ananda India had their evening, and Ananda Europa, Ananda Assisi, had their evening. And it was amazing. I think they're all available online publicly. Um, the talks for the Korea bonds uh, will be available on the Korea site. But uh, we also had amazing meditations. They're in the process of developing their new temple. They have a temple of light that's been there since 1996. Um, they're building a new facility as well called the Temple of Joy. And they had completed sort of the foundation and the lower level of it, and there was a pad, a cement pad. Uh, that they were going to build in the, the, the upper portion of it. And they had put temporarily a pandal, that's an Indian term for basically a pavilion, uh, a canvas, you know, very heavily framed, um, tubular frame to make this very secure. And it, you can have 150 people in there. And in the mornings, we had meditations there. It was very warm. It was similar to the weather that was here, except... We didn't have a fire over there. We had a lot of rain at one point. So we thought maybe that rain could go over here and we could deal with that. But, um, um, but there were 120 people, maybe more, meditating each morning. And um, often I would go early um, to get a longer meditation in. 
I'd go before 6 o'clock, and the chanting and stuff happened about 10 to 7. And I think the second morning that we were doing this, that the uh, person leading the meditation uh, did the prayer and then mentioned with the chanting, in chanting door of my heart, that um, to chant it in the different languages. And they put out this international chant booklet. And Door of My Heart is translated into six different languages. So English, obviously, but Italian, German, Spanish, Russian, and Hindi. And she said, so we'll chant this in these different languages. And I couldn't hear. She was very soft-spoken. Um, and so, and I was just more interiorized. I wasn't really out there. Um, but then she paused after a few minutes and said, well, no, what I'd like you to do is sing in your language simultaneously. <laughs> and, and when that started to happen, it felt like the Tower of Babel. <laughs> to my conscious mind, it felt like a, just a, a scrambling of these different voices. And I thought, well, let me just go to the essence. So I just went inside, and I felt in the essence the experience of Door of My Heart. And I thought that really ties into what this topic is today, that the reasoning mind will see the differences, the separation, you know, the polarity, and, but that intuitive side, that soul nature, sees the unity amidst that diversity. It's, and it's more than the unity. It experiences the essence. And that's really what we're here to do, is not only enjoy the diversity of life, um, because that's the nature of duality. Remember, God set into motion a tremendous momentum of us being caught in delusion. Isn't that interesting? But luckily for us, he set in motion the way out of that delusion. And really, when we talk about reason and intuition, or the intellect and intuition, we're playing kind of a dance. Because it's not like we're going to just say, intellect, you're gone. Reason, we don't want you. We just want intuition. Well, that isn't really how it works. It really works with us using all the gifts that are, that are given to us. For instance, one of the things that Patanjali talks about in the Yoga Sutras is Viveka. And Viveka is understood as discernment. Very, very important. Because ultimately the discernment is about what is delusion and what is freedom. But within that, we have life. We have this amazing complexity of things that we're doing every day and living our lives and so forth. And so discernment comes in not as the controlling element of seeing things so much and then labeling them and saying that's reality. Discernment is there to help the intuition to come to that inner experience. But the challenge is world, the world around us is always going to tempt us to move towards reason and intellect. And what we are given the challenge of in life, and that's really what it is, it's a challenge, is to tune in more intuitively in everything, even in the simple things of life, what's trying to happen for us. Because this whole story of, of children being brought to Jesus and Jesus making this comment that 
we have to be like children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, we can decipher this pretty easily if we use any sensibility. That it's not being just as a child with their emotional immaturity, meaning that they're childish, but their childlike qualities. The openness, the trust that a child has, just naturally. It is just there as that experience. In Assisi, some of you, I think most of you that live here know, but some of you as guests may also know that uh, Indra and his wife, Benedetta, and their little son, Aliseo, have lived here recently, and they're living over in Ananda Assisi. Well, Aliseo just turned two in May, and if you know the term terrible twos, <laughs> he is really perfect. <laughs> fulfilling what that means. Um, he tends to, um, at satsangs, come right up the aisle to the front. And I know last year when we were in Ananda CC, where we were giving a satsang to the community, and Alaseo was wandering like a sadhu around the room. And then he came right up to me as we were talking, you know, to the group. And he wanted up on my lap. And this is interesting, and this captures the childlike and childish part that I'm referring to. He definitely had sort of the, uh, um, the gremlin-like side of being childish. Um, but I thought, let me not focus on that. And so I said, come on up. And in that, I could see as I did that, the openness and trust in his childlike nature. And so he sat on my lap. He didn't last that long on my lap, but, you know, five minutes or so, as I was engaging, and part of were engaging in the satsang that we were leading for the community. But it was interesting to come to that experience that um, we can do that with each other. You know, if we can come to the calmness and peace within, we can ride over the choppy waves of just polarity and the intellect trying to separate. We still have that reality before us. It's not like it suddenly disappears. It's that I've got a a duel over there. No. Um, It's that we're able to rise over, lift up, move our energy in a way that really works. Think of the idea of the carping spirit. Interesting, isn't it? What causes us to have the carping spirit? You know, to carp means simply to complain or to find fault. What causes us to emphasize finding fault and complaining? Well, one, it comes from the ego. It's egotism in its expression. But it's really coming from the choices we've made that end up as karma for us. We've developed bad habits. We've set in motion a way of relating to life. Why does that happen? I think for a lot of us it happens, you know, whether in this lifetime or some previous lifetime, it's a protective defense mechanism. You know, if we feel insecure, we can easily push the blame to someone else. We can always sort of, as, Yog- as Shri Kishwar said, 
uh, cut off all people's heads so we look taller. Well, I'm not sure that really works, and we know it doesn't work. Probably each one of us in this room knows it doesn't work. In our criticism of others, it doesn't really make us feel better or more secure. But believe me, if you do it enough, you can fool yourself. And I think that's what the carping spirit is that Krishna relates to in terms of Arjuna. In one of his uh, commentaries, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda talks about, indeed, the carping spirit, because we're in duality, will probably be in each one of us. It's more what happens with that carping spirit. And more truthfully, what happens with the energy behind the carping spirit. And this is where we have great potential of always changing it. Because just think of when you have been carping. Now, probably, as, even though I'm contradicting what I said, there's no one here that does that. Um, but think of someone you know that's been carping. <laughs> there's energy behind it. What we can do if we're caught with the carping spirit is change the energy flow. You know, it's very hard to overcome um, those qualities or moods that are negative in and of themselves. You know, to say, I'm going to be rid of the carping spirit. That's a good part of it, but it's such a small part of it. Because why will it change? It will change because we shift the energy. It changes because we're moving in a magnetism that's different than that negation of others. And that's possible. So when we're caught, when we're caught in that display of the carping spirit, we can change that immediately. We don't have to ponder. We don't even have to introspect, really. I mean... Those things are very important as well. But in that moment, we can change the energy behind the carping spirit and say, what is the movement of energy that finds the solution that's trying to happen? So in engaging with someone that's coming up with ideas that you question, and your, your discernment will come in, and there may be a questioning of what's appropriate with that idea. But we can take the energy and find the solution from that person's input, from our input, and lift towards solution. It's not as if it has to be either or. It can be that we're combining, we're connecting, we're synthesizing those different strands and making them whole, or at least moving towards a wholeness. You know, wholeness only comes when we're completely in oneness with God. But we can move incredibly with momentum towards wholeness at every point in our lives. It isn't subject to the moods we're affected by. It isn't subject to opinions that we have or others have. It's only something that's able to be moved by our willingness. Be even-minded and cheerful at all times. You know, I don't know about you, but as devotees, I think we have a grasp on what that means. But I remember doing workshops in two different instances when I broached this to newer people. And their perspective of that 
is that that's a wimpy way of looking at life. Isn't that interesting? Cheerful, come on, be real, come on, you know, deal with what's really going on. Cheerful, come on. But, as we know, and by the end of the workshop, people well understood, the people that were carping about me saying that, um, well understood because I was engaging them and lifting the energy into an experiential approach rather than just, here's my thought, here's your thought. No, let's shift away from that into something that's more true as an experience for each person. And if we can always move in that direction, what happens is that we start to realize that the simplicity of things is also a tool that allows that experience of wrapping our aura, so to speak, around others. Wrapping our aura around circumstances. It is in simplicity that we're able to understand what peace really is for us personally and how that's shared with other people. It isn't a strategy. It isn't a campaign. It's really the essence of soul magnetism. And peace is felt by people in that way. Same with calmness. When we can come to a deeper experience of calmness, it's like we radiate out waves of blessing in that way. And people unbeknownst to their own conscious experience will be affected by that. It will be what happens. And when that happens more and more in our lives, we start to feel intuitively how that happens even more that it increases even more, that we understand how that affects people, so that we release that carping spirit. In the commentaries on the essence of the Bhagavad Gita, when Swami Kriyananda uh, channeling Yogananda's teachings on this Gita verse that Parvati read about the carping spirit, uh, he says uh, that he appraises Arjuna of being beyond the carping spirit. And he said that is one of the highest levels to attain, to go beyond the carping spirit. So it's not that we want to label ourselves as being negative with our carping spirit. We want to say, what is behind that indulgent behavior of being in the carping spirit? How can we really see what's beneficial in life rather than saying, oh, it's a bad thing. It's a given, it's a bad thing. But let's move towards what is the right thing. Moving from that point, using it as a leverage rather than just saying, that's not what I want. Saying, what's the energy behind my carping energy? It's energy. And how do we move forward? Well, if you think about what faith is, Faith is very, very interesting. You know, there's two words in Sanskrit that are used to describe faith. Because Sanskrit is much more subtle in its understandings. One is Shraddha, and we have a Shraddha in our midst um, that reflects faith. But there's this other word that Yogananda said, and I want to read this to you. It's called Vishvas. V-I-S-V-A-S. Those whose breath, life, and feeling are calm. They can have faith born of intuition. It cannot be possessed by those who are emotionally restless. The cultivation of intuitive calmness requires unfoldment 
of the inner life. Intuition brings immediate comprehension of truth. And he says this line, which you can take with you, emblazon it on your spiritual eye. Meditation is the way. Isn't that nice? Just to bring it into focus? Because what meditation does, it transforms the tendencies towards duality of delusion, like carping spirit. When we have our baseline always expanding and growing in terms of not only unity, but a real sense of oneness with the divine, not only unity with one another, but in that, when we have more of that experience, then our openness and our trust become second nature. The danger, of course, is that we become passive in being open and having trust. Because as it says, we really don't want to do it where our brains fall out. So it takes a demanding discernment of that intuitive experience of the faith of our soul being enveloped in the calmness and peace of who we are in our true soul nature and live by that in every moment. So, meditation is the way. I just wanted to add just some very brief thing because our time in Assisi was really quite extraordinary. I don't know that I've experienced a time like that really in my whole time with Ananda. And I was just thinking as Pranava was speaking and before that actually about what was it that made it so extraordinary? And, and that's the word I would use. I asked Anandi, I said, am I perceiving this right? She said, no, it was extraordinary. And I think it was a combination of elements. One, Kriyacharyas did all the morning classes, but there was no ego there. In all those people, I just felt like it was just Master Babaji, Swami coming through, people just simply sharing a very deep part of their lives. But that was only part of it. The other part were all the people that came. Literally, there were at least a dozen countries represented and languages to go with them. And that audience, they were all Kriyabans. So we were all Kriyabans. And the simple thing of translating which Assisi is very serviceful of doing. Every class was translated either into Italian or English, depending on the speaker. And then there were a dozen Russians. They were translated to. There were some Spanish speakers. They were translated to. And I thought what it felt to me happened there, and it was a just incredible upliftment of consciousness, was that we all became one. We lived in Assisi many years ago, and the language and cultural and uh, country barrier can be big. It's, it's not just a, a passive kind of thing. It, it's a reality. But in that time there for one week, we really merged. And it was about Kriya in the deepest way possible. We meditated together. We had classes. We had meals, everything. But it was going beyond all the differences. And it was really 
quite extraordinary. And, it, and to finish, it felt to me also like everywhere within Ananda is um, benefited, more than benefited, is part of that. It's who we are. Each continent, Americas, in Europe, in India, it's simply who we are, and it's happening. And it's not by organization, it's by just the natural unfoldment of Master's path, his mission. And as one of the speakers said, Swami said to him, and I'll close with this, he said, Swami, I think it may have been Dharmadas, he said, he, Swami looked at him one time and he said, you know, this path, this, this work, it's not your work. And it's not my work. It's Babaji's work. And it, when he said that, it just... Anyway, it's all of us together, whether we're speaking or listening or meditating or whatever. It's quite remarkable what's happening with Ananda throughout the world right now. And it is an incredible blessing of light and hope and love and joy for everyone.